What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Wall Street has a revenue problem. Employees better look out. Cuts are coming. CNBC's Hugh Sun reporting. Now, I think the jig is up when it comes to remote. With the collapse in, in revenues, and they're going to look at taking headcount down across these businesses that have been suffering. And a strong U.S. dollar hurting global companies. The maker of Band-Aid and Tylenol, Johnson & Johnson, cuts guidance while selling a lot of meds and dealing with a COVID surge in China. J&J CFO Joe Walk. We think uh, we're managing through uh, all the uncertainty. Plus, the first court hearing between Twitter and Elon Musk. It begins. And U.S. tech hits a turning point at IBM, where times are tough, and on Capitol Hill, where chips are the talk of the swamp. Ten chips for every man, woman, and child on the planet. We're doing more than our fair share. How many do you have? All I know is I got a brand new iPhone that's battery is now 86% effective. It's Tuesday, July 19th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, fuel please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The average price of a gallon of gas is now below $4.50, according to AAA. That's down from the high water mark of $5.02 on June 14th. And at this point, only eight states are now averaging above $5 a gallon been in a couple of those states recently where you still are paying high prices. Some places you're paying below four bucks. I, I think uh, in Carolinas, you're, so you're paying below four dollars at this point. However, this is coming after we saw a big run up in crude oil prices, too. This morning, they're down ever so slightly, but you're looking at crude oil back above $100, 102.26. Yesterday was the biggest gains we've seen for WTI in about two months. Then we've got these terrible earnings to talk about. Well, and then the stock price, too. Yep. Last night, I was, you know, just quickly, I was watching Jeopardy, and they had a whole category on woke. On, uh, and it was, <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, it's going to be on Joe Woke, our, our CFO. <laughs> yeah. uh, from De- but it, it was Herman Woke. Uh, I thought you were going to talk war. about when IBM's Watson beat the Jeopardy player. That that did happen too, and I'm many, sure many that nobody can beat Watson at this point. As but we know about AI. We're very we're very close to being totally unessential and and uh, irrelevant as as a species. So just you know that's coming. So we're about this far away. IBM shares are uh, going to open around 1:30. I just looked. I have a chart that went back. I don't know, 10, 15 years. 2013, the stock was over 200. I think these are 1990. Oh, there, there you go. Uh, these are 1999 levels. You can get all the way back to 1999 and see that. So uh, the company's earnings and revenue did beat estimates, but it trimmed its 2022 cash forecast. It reaffirmed its full year uh, revenue outlook, but raised uh, the projected currency impact due to the strong dollar. We're going to hear that, I guess, again and again. Gross margins fell from a year ago and missed analyst estimates. And then IBM said it would take some time uh, for price adjustments to offset rising labor costs. Still around, uh, is, it, is it on its way back? You'd have to 
think. Now, old, old Buffett gave it a try. Yeah, and got out a long yeah, time Yeah, it didn't work. It, the, 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 the pricing pressure there, the higher costs that they're facing in their, in their consulting business, I mean, kind of catching this, it, it can't be a surprise that they got hit because of the stronger dollar. It can't be a surprise that they got hit because of exiting the Russian business. We knew that was out there. It's got to be more of a, 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 a you know, margin really, story. Do you call it tech, or is it really sort of just an, well, indus, an but, industrial? So the question, though, is there is a long bet on IBM, which is, do you believe in quantum computing? If you believe in quantum computing and you believe that, and oh, look, people have been betting on this for years and years and years, but if you believe in it and you believe that they have some kind of, you know, super fairy dust that others don't, there's a bet. I'm just saying. Then you just ask it, why would they versus? Well, no, you know. no, they actually have been working on, they, they right. have been doing some of like the, the serious hard engineering work on quantum computing far longer than most. They have some uh, projects that are clearly in the works that seem to be, depending on who you believe, ahead of others. It's not, it's not going to help you with, the, with cash on cash on per quarter right now, but, you know. They can already beat the best chess players, so what's it going to do for them, really? Watson already can do that. Maybe. Twitter is firing back at Elon Musk's attempt to delay the trial over his terminated deal to buy the company. In a filing yesterday, Twitter accused Musk of using delay tactics to harm the company in the court of public opinion. Twitter wants to go to trial as early as September, but Musk has asked the Delaware court to deny its request for an expedited trial and aim for next year. Musk's attorneys argued that they needed time to conduct massive amounts of discovery over the amount of spam and bot ac accounts on its platform. Twitter said that the public dispute harms Twitter with each passing day that Musk is in breach and said that Musk amplifies this harm by using Twitter's own platform as a megaphone to disparage it. If you've been watching this, I guess the big question is what happens in Delaware? Uh, what do you think, Andrew? Will they push this forward? Will this go quickly? I've, 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 I've said it the past couple of days, I'm in the uh, view that either you're going to congratulate Elon Musk and say thank you so much for uh, this, you, you now own the company, and you're going to do it, they're going to do it quickly. I think it's going to happen quickly. I, the quick part of it, I think is, I the mean, trial. the trial, I think they will, you'll start relatively quickly. Maybe you do something somewhere in between, so you don't do September, but maybe you do October, November, October, November just to split that. But then I think ultimately you're either going to say you own the whole thing or you're going to say you, and this is the part I can't figure out. You're going to say you own the whole thing or your option is that, you know, whatever the stock price is today, uh, minus or from the $44 billion, that's the price you'll pay. But if you're going to pay 15 you or 20 billion dollars, a court wouldn't say that, right? You'd be in a negotiation uh, to say just do it. No, I think that they could come back and just say you can either hold. We're going to hold you to it, or because you clearly don't want it, and because they clearly don't want you, you can pay the difference. The question is, what's the real difference? That's the conundrum, because the difference is not what the stock price is today. The difference is the stock price, uh, the what would be the unaffected stock price if nobody owned it. And that we don't know. And she's working from home, the judge. She is. Switched it to Zoom. She's got COVID. Judge McCormick has COVID. You saw that, right? I didn't realize that she had COVID. Judge in the Twitter lawsuit and uh, the cancel deal has COVID. They, they but switched, if you all, it, they switched also, it all to Zoom. So she, we got the judge working from home. I would also home say the judge. At least, COVID's still around? If, yeah, it is, of course it is. Look, the thing, the other thing is if you look at the rulings that she has made recently, there's a number of cases that actually, I don't want to say mirror this directly, not specifically, but she has uh, voted, if you will, or, or ruled in favor of specific performance, which effectively says you own the company. So she's done that before. This idea that, you know, there's a breakup fee or something else, I think is very hard to believe.
But feeling, I think the stock market is pretty good. It. He's feeling pretty good. Going to do it just for the week. No symptoms. He'll be back next week. But it's all Zoom <laughs> this week. I mean, are you surprised? It's been our life for. Uh, all I can think of is the. The cat meme, the guy who was on with the judge. Do you remember this? Like in 2020 when all the courts were on Zoom. Oh, yeah. The guy couldn't get the cat meme off. I, I swear I'm not, a, I'm not a cat, Your Honor. Right. We've been seeing lately it says, you're out of time. And it like goes right over the person's face and we quickly <laughs> scramble back there. Uh, when you do stuff from home, things happen. It is more complicated. You saw oh. <laughs> I'm wearing my pants right now. <laughs> House Speaker Nancy Pelosi planning to lead a delegation to Taiwan next month. Uh, now China is responding. A spokesman for China's foreign ministry said early today that uh, the trip would have a, quote, grave impact on U.S.-China ties. He said if the U.S. were to insist on going down the wrong path, China will take resolute and strong measures to safeguard its sovereignty and territorial integrity. Now, China issued a similar warning about a visit that had been planned for April, but then canceled uh, after Speaker Pelosi contracted COVID. Talk about contracting COVID. Uh, no sitting U.S. Speaker has visited Taiwan since Newt Gingrich traveled there in 1997. And of course, there's a big question about the CHIPS Act. We saw this op-ed. We now, we now have Republicans on one side yep. who say that we shouldn't be giving out corporate you, welfare. You've got to be We've got Bernie Sanders right. on the other who's saying that this is, is an awful idea. You saw him say that actually well, just would, a day I'm or two sure ago. Want to attach before a lot to before it, the huh? journal did. Yeah. What did you say? I'm sure he'd want to attach a lot of restrictions to, uh, you know, no buybacks, know. no dividends, I don't think, I don't think he was, hiring. I don't think he was trying to do anything. I no, think he was it, just once saying. it's going to be, once we get close, I think he's going to have certain. If, if, but there's a. There's a question. This is the part I don't know. I Intel, think you've got to be conflicted here. I don't think you think government subsidies are good for favored industries. I don't industries. like government subsidies. For favored industries. But I'm also... If it's, a, if it's a defense question. But I also story. know that Intel, and you could say that they're holding the U.S. hostage if you wanted to do it that's in a critical... Governor, that's what the governor a, of Ohio is In said. a critical fashion, you know, they say they're headed to Europe or they say they're headed to other countries. That on show on Friday, um, Pat Gelsinger said. Right. The CHIPS Act itself doesn't solve the problem. It creates an incentive to start driving these investments in the U.S. And if it's as close, you know, we're going to build in the U.S. and Europe. You know, that's, you know, we're an American company. We believe deeply in the benefits of R&D and manufacturing. Basically said that, look, Germany is offering this sort of a package. Money goes where it's best treated. Yeah, but it shouldn't be being best treated by governments. It but should in, be. Reali in reality, if that's what the case is, and by the way, that's why Asia built up so many of these chip fabs, because just, they were offering this policy for over, right. over right. 15 so years. So then the question is, should there be different policies, though, in the U.S.? Not necessarily as incentives, by the way, but perhaps disincentives to, to do these to things elsewhere. Because part of the calculus needs to be, I would think if you're a company, if you think, by the way, that you're not going to have access to chips in the future, including Intel not having access to chips in the future, you think, well, they have to come up with a plan. I well, asked, I asked Pat, right? Pat Gelsinger right. about this on Friday. He was here. And look, he's making the case that they've said they were going to do this. They made plans based on what the, the Congress had told them. Uh, but nothing's done in Congress until it's done. Um, right. But I, they're, they're highly profitable. They've, they've been very successful what they do. They know what they need to do to stay highly profitable. You can grease the skids a little bit. Uh, usually you do it at an earlier stage. But then you do have everything that goes along with, with the Faustian deals when you sign on with the government. And you've got every single senator or who's ever involved with that has their own little stuff that they want for, for their totally, areas. But what do you, and do, it's, but it's what do, you do of all of these? What do you do of all of these companies to say, you know what? I'm going to risk it for the next five. By the way, that's what we've been doing, right? I'll, I'll, I'm going to take a flyer on whether the supply chain actually works 
And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. They all claim to be long-term thinkers, but obviously right. they haven't been. We can take some sauce that we are definitely the world leader in the technology and in the chip-making equipment makers. Now, a lot of the commodity stuff is made over there, but it's also pointed out in the piece, the, the shortage is turning into a glut. And you've seen in the past, Micron, that stock would go like this because yes, it's glutted supply. You glut, still have cars you can't shortage, get fixed glut, because they, and cars that are being produced that don't. don't have the chips in them can't do the but things that, that, that they can, promised that to do. That can quickly change. We went from, uh, you know, we went from people paying you to take a barrel of oil to $150 pretty quick, too. It, it, we do, but the, the question is, do we want this manufacturing ability here on our shores? And I think the answer would be yes, not only with semiconductors, but with other areas, too. Maybe there are different incentive plans that you can set up that would be less rich. Maybe there are tax breaks or other things that you could write off to do some it's, of these things. I, the, the very first point the journal makes is pretty interesting. If you add up all what we're talking about, $76 billion, you could take all companies, every company in the United States, double the research and development tax credit through 2025 and throw in 100% expensing to allow immediate R&D deductions through 2025 and not pick favored industries. That, that's, Do it that's, for everyone. that's fair that it is, it is a lot of money and you can definitely say that. My point would be, if you're looking at this from a defense production, if a defense situation where they now realize they've got too much in Asia and not enough in other places, and it's going to come down to us or Germany, I would like some of that to come here. So if there's something we could do to incentivize some of them to be here, I'd feel better about it. Germany ought to be building a few nuclear plants. They should yes, just they should. blow <laughs> off the chip making because their people are going to be, you know, be all huddled together in sweaters. This well, by the way, think about that. Just think about that for a sec. How much... It takes energy to make right. semiconductors. Right. What happens if you don't buy in long term to That's Germany's energy plan? Exactly. Right? I mean, this, this, this is this why. Could happen is, well, look, these, plan, these chips aren't going to be built for a while. So I know, but, but, the, but the point is that all, there are so many now, and I think it's become clear, just all the different, both geopolitical and economic issues that, that we all confront. And so you do want this stuff back here. The question is, how do you do it? How do you incentivize them? The fact that we're now this late in the game and both, you know, Bernie Sanders and the Wall Street Journal op-ed page have A, come to the same conclusion, and B, are doing it, you know, at the, at the final hour is a little crazy. Do you hear that statistic? There's 10 chips for every man, woman, and child on the planet. Uh, more than, we're, do, we're doing more than our fair share. How many do you have? All I know is I got a brand new iPhone that's battery is now 86% effective, and I think they do that to me on purpose. I'm, have you checked yours? My, my, my battery health is worse, my friend. My battery worse, health what? is worse. And is it, do you go in and put a new battery in? Have you done that? No, too, too cheap. Could you do it? You can. Could you do it? Could I physically do it? Oh, no. I, I mean, you technically could. How many Sorkins does it take to replace a battery in a three um, to hold the phone? What? You are a kernel oh. more than it does <laughs> you, know, you know what it takes? One to take it to the uh, Genius Bar. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, one of America's biggest brand name companies might be coming out of the worst of a supply chain crisis to walk into a currency crunch. Johnson & Johnson CFO Joseph Walk joins us. We do see some very positive signs that the availability of materials, uh, as well as workers, are, are now coming to be a little bit more alleviated than what we were experiencing six, nine months ago. And profits, big or small, pharma's never too strapped for a strong jingle. Every drug should have a song. Oh, 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 oh. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. 
At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. We should be talking right now about Johnson & Johnson. That company just out with its earnings. And those numbers are better than expected. Second quarter adjusted earnings coming in at $2.59 a share. That was a nickel ahead of the $2.54 a share that the street had been expecting. Sales also beating expectations. They were up by 3% to $24 billion. The street had been looking at a number just below $23.8 billion. That was the analyst consensus. If you look through the divisions on this, consumer health saw its sales on a reported basis down by about 1.3%. MedTech was down by 1.1%, but those numbers were hurt by a stronger U.S. dollar. Pharmaceutical uh, numbers were up, whether you look at this on a reported basis, up 6.7%, or operational, up by 12.3%. Got a lot of questions for the CFO, Joseph Woke. Eli Lilly had an all-time high. Did they? The other day. No small feat in, in the first, in 2022 in this market, but healthcare—you can see United Healthcare. I mean, across the board, almost—that's the ultimate inelastic um, industry in, a, in an aging population. You would think, wouldn't you? How does that ever healthcare? The, the only time it becomes discretionary, I guess, is like when do you get in, somebody else's? Health? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. uh, it, that, that's right. The, the, what do they call it? Yeah, elective surgery. I, right. I, I clip my nails as elective. I get worried about that, but yeah, I don't. I can't imagine going in for something you don't need, but. People did put off knees and things like that during the pandemic. That's pharmaceutical was really strong. Pharmaceutical uh, operational sales, as we mentioned, up 12.4%. It had things like Darzalex, which is a treatment for multiple myeloma. Stellara, which is a biologic treatment for a number of immune, meat, uh, immune inflammatory diseases. Uh, Erlita, which is for patients with prostate cancer. So right. A lot of new drugs, new, th- or new th- strengths coming down the pipeline. Every Drug should have a song. You know what I mean? So you know, like, so you remember oh, what it is? Yeah. Oh, 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 Zampic. It drives me nuts. You're not, you're not, you're not looking I, at I'm not the, watching Jeopardy, so it's yeah. very, very difficult <laughs> for me to know about. You have no idea how much I'm I learned. You have Hulu, no idea. and I'm on. What are you watching? Oh, Hulu's I'm the fastest growing. Peacock, and I'm on all oh, of these Oh, you threw in other, Peacock yeah, for you your know, little, little Netflix. Browning points, huh? He has learned from you over Yeah, there. he has. You yeah. know, HBO, Showtime. I don't even, my, mine but is I, just. I don't see the ads for Zempic. You don't see the ads for uh, they're horrible, and, and that's not the only one. Each one of them has a really bad song. I went down in a burning ring of fire. <laughs> There's another one. <laughs> Why do you one. look at me when you're saying that? Oh, no reason. <laughs> the same reason I was going to look at you for consumer health. You know, yeah. consumer health. Their operational sales were up 2.9 percent. Of course, that's yeah. before you consider the dollar. Part of that was because of their over-the-counter franchise like Amodium and the d- digestive yeah. health products and Neutrogena in international skin and health beauty. Yeah, ring of fire. That, that, that's an asteroid medication, right? It, it was originally, I believe the Johnny Cash estate was considering allowing um, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, I don't hemorrhoids. Think yeah, hemorrhoids. Asteroids. 
Hemorrhoids. Okay. Joining us right now to talk more about it is Joseph Woke. He is the CFO of J&J &J and a member of the CNBC CFO Council. And Joe, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, good morning, Becky. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Let's talk about the earnings. They came in better than anticipated, a gain of, uh, beat by about a nickel, $2.59 on an adjusted basis versus what the street had been anticipating. Looks like the strength really came in pharmaceuticals and particularly in international, too. Yeah, you know, Becky, we're very pleased with the second quarter. Quite frankly, the start to the first half of the year, um, being able to deliver on really robust uh, guidance that we provided in January, despite really the volatility and uncertainty that are being presented by macroeconomic conditions. You're absolutely right. Pharmaceutical business for us continues to be a shining star, 12% growth in the quarter. With some of the products that you mentioned earlier, Darzelex for multiple myeloma, Orlita for prostate cancer, Stellar for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, just doing tremendous. But I would say the unsung heroes, quite frankly, are medical... MedTech and uh, consumer health. Uh, you look at the, the growth optically and you say, well, maybe that's a little bit lower than first quarter. Um, but quite frankly, they had their toughest comps that they're going to have all year based on how well second quarter of 2021 performed. And then you also have the dynamic uh, related to COVID in China, which probably hurt growth by about two to three points in each of those segments. So we think uh, we're managing through uh, all the uncertainty. We were able to allocate our resources in a way that still carved out really solidifying our future, and that's a 9% growth in the R&D line. Hey, Joe, the, the stock was up initially when the results came out. They, they've given back those gains. It's flat right now, and I, I guess that's because of the guidance you're giving for the full year. You're now saying that you expect to earn $10 to $10.10. Previous guidance had been for $10.15 to 1035. Sales, too, it looks like it's a little below what the earlier expectations had been, yep. $93.3 billion to $94.3 billion versus $94.8 to $95.8, which had been the earlier expectations. What, what happened here? Why are you lowering guidance? Yeah, you know what I think, uh, Becky? is it's it's all um uh, the strengthening U.S. dollar, right? So our operational guidance, which is really what we control, remains exactly the same as we had in January and then again in April. It's the strengthening dollar. So last week when we did our estimates and finalized our guidance, uh, the, the euro and the dollar were pretty much at parity, something we haven't seen in 20 years uh, at really an accelerated rate that we've only seen two or three times over that 20-year span. So it's all uh, FX at this point, uh, but our operational guidance, the, how we measure our performance remains intact. The dollar had its worst day in about a month yesterday. I guess this is as other central banks start to, to raise rates, too. Is if, if that trend continues, if other central banks start tightening, would that change your guidance, too? Uh, that would change it upward, right? So if, if we did uh, something where the U.S. dollar uh, wasn't as strong versus the euro and some other major currencies, uh, that would take the guidance up down the road. But right now... Right now, we're looking at parity. What, what, what are you seeing just in terms of pricing pressure, inflationary pressures? How, how do those impact you and where? Yeah, so we had about a, a 50 basis point impact in terms of higher cost of goods. Uh, so our gross margins were down a little bit. We were able to manage the, the rest of the P&L with better resource allocation, perhaps raising the bar on the investment opportunities that we're looking at. Uh, in order to, to manage that. I think that's quite frankly, as a CFO, I think that's healthy every five to seven years. We do have the opportunity as we separate into two companies, a consumer health unit and a new Johnson Johnson, to kind of look at the infrastructure that we operate under and how we're going to support a company that's now based on two segments versus one that was traditionally three. When you start thinking about uh, issues that concern you the most, is it the dollar or is it continuing supply chain issues? Is it inflation? Which one of these keeps you up the most? Uh, you know, I think it would be the inflationary pressures. Uh, we did see some 
uh, I would say, I, I think about those in two ways. The inflationary pressure relating to just the cost of input. So whether it's labor, whether it's materials, whether it's transportation, getting our products from point A to point B. But there's also, um, I would say, commodity availability. We experienced that in the third and fourth quarter of last year. We do see some very positive signs that the availability of materials, uh, as well as workers, are, are now coming to be a little bit more alleviated than what we were experiencing six, nine months ago. Uh, but that's the one we continue to watch. The other thing that's critically important to us is to continue to feed our future, and that's really investment in R&D, making sure that we're able to uh, create great innovation, new healthcare solutions for patients around the world. Hey, Joe, thanks for your time today. It's really good to see you. Thanks, Becky. Coming up on Squawk Pod. In this new world where some people are working at home and some people are working at the office, how much you think the, quote, underperformance of somebody is going to be influenced by their proximity to power? How many days they're in the office? Confusing performance with presence would be such a blunder. That's Harvard Sadal Neely, author of The Remote Work Revolution. If Wall Street tightens its belt after huge pandemic expansion, who makes the cut to stick around? This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Three, two, stand Andrew by. Up and Andrew, cue. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kearney. Many bank employees seem to be calling the shots, pushing back on return to the office mandates, demanding pay raises and record bonuses. But there may be a shift happening. Wall Street's top CEOs have acknowledged a slowdown and cost-cutting at Wall Street's top banks may be next, which may or may not include a practice that was put aside during the pandemic, end-of-year layoffs. Joining us right now to discuss this and more, CNBC.com banking reporter Hugh Sun and Sadal Neely, Harvard Business School professor and author of Remote Work Revolution. Hugh and Sadal, good morning to you. Hugh, you know, we, we've always wondered whether the uh, return to work or work from home was a um, sort of part, part of a bubble market or not. Do we think that this is uh, about to change? Andrew, yes. I, you know, I think the jig is up when it comes to remote. I think basically what you have is a situation where, you know, the, the revenues on a lot of these Wall Street investment banking uh, deal flow markets have collapsed. And when that happens, you know, people have been actually really surprisingly successful at pushing it back against management, as you know. In terms of their, uh, you know, return to office mandates, you know, Goldman Sachs CEO kind of lamented that they were at close to something like fifty or sixty percent when they would prefer to be closer to eighty percent occupancy, occupancy down on, on on Water Street, and so basically at West Street. So you have a situation where they've been successful at pushing back against this, and yet now you have a situation where 
you know, with the collapse in, in revenues uh, and the impending, you know, September, October timeframe is, is what I, when I think a lot of these investment banks are going to start talking about, you know, what is our deal for look at the, look, look like at the end of the year? What is our uh, optimal staffing uh, levels have to be heading into 2023? And they're going to look at taking headcount down across these businesses that have been suffering. Sadal, you think that this, I mean, it sounds like at, at minimum, there's going to be a, a reduction in hiring. But you think this is going to change the culture? We're going back to, to where we were before. And does this have larger implications beyond Wall Street? Uh, um, I absolutely believe that in a res- recessionary environment, employers always hold the power uh, and they have to manage increasingly scarce resources. But that does not mean that they want to go back in terms of advances in work, modernization of work. So culling genuine underperformers is very important. And we know that Goldman Sachs has always had this practice historically, and they're going to do that. You weed out your poor performance and you um, ensure that you have quality talent. Now, in terms of will this affect uh, the work structures or smart hybrid policies that have been true advances in the workplace? I don't think so. Will this practice around underperformers go beyond Wall Street? Absolutely. We've already seen it in the tech world with Zuckerberg and others already. But pointing- Sinal, can we can we. So the idea, though, of a quote unquote underperformer and I, what I'm thinking about is in this new world where some people are working at home and some people are working at the office, how much you think the, quote, underperformance of somebody is going to be influenced by their proximity to power? How many days they're in the office? I don't think we should confuse performance with presence. You can have stellar performers who are not proximal. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just suggesting to you that sort of the, the natural act of the way people behave is that when somebody's in front of them, it's different when somebody isn't. Some people call this proximity bias. I actually think we're much more sophisticated than that. There used to be a time pre pandemic. I've looked at this phenomenon for 20 years where this would have been a real issue, this proximity bias that you're describing. But I think we're much more sophisticated today. We have more experienced managers and leaders. We have more experienced workers who can do well, who can have digital presence in ways that I've never seen. Uh, And so I'm less worried of having these biases seep into these smart decisions that leaders have to make. Confusing performance right. with presence would be such a blunder. Hugh, I, I want to believe Sadal, but I and, and I know she's 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 at Harvard there, but I'm worried it's that's <laughs> an acad- I'm worried it's an academic thought. But the, but the truth is uh, that when it gets to a practical uh, practical application, uh, the proximity piece for better or worse matters. Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, the CEOs have been very clear. You know, they want their people back. Wall Street is still an apprenticeship business. You know, you still learn by the person to your left, the person to your right, and your boss in the clear, uh, you know, office down the hallway. And so, you know, you look at this and anecdotally, by the way, Andrew, I've heard that they're, the desks and on many Wall Street firms are busier now than they have been uh, in years. And so that people know that, you know, if they are not physically present and their P&L doesn't justify a great year, that they are at risk of being on the chopping block by, by year end. And, you know, as you know, this is a Wall Street tradition. It, it's taken a pause 
uh, during the pandemic the past two years, and it looks like it's uh, coming back right. this year. Hey, Hugh, do you think, are there certain firms that you think are, quote unquote, more bloated than others right now? Well, look, I mean, if you take, take a look at Goldman Sachs yesterday, they absolutely crushed 2Q results. And yet at the same time, you know, the revenue fell by 23%. If you look at what they did with their headcount, it's really shocking. They added 15% in bodies. That's something like 6,000 new bodies in the past year. Now, part of some of that is probably through acquisitions. They acquired GreenSky. You know, but a lot of this is growth initiatives. And so they're really investing for growth and for the future. And the same time, what does that do to your expense base? It, is, it does look bloated for the current level of revenues that they're enjoying. That's so the now, key issue. Bloating, yeah, yeah. bloating is the key issue here. Uh, and Wall Street is also investing in technology in extraordinary ways. I mean, this is the number one concern that they have. So this apprenticeship model is somewhat outdated when we think about algorithmic trading and other ways of uh, doing business. So there, there, there's a lot more here that's much beyond uh, academic, but true practical work right. that comes from but Sadal, when you talk when you talk to leaders uh, of Wall Street firms and you make the arguments you do, what, what do you what do they tell you back? They say and, and I have spoken to board members and I've spoken to CEOs. They say they know that they have no choice if they want to attract and retain top talent. And if they want to build a culture of the future, they need to embrace hybrid even if they don't want to. They know that this is kind of where the world is moving and all of it at the intersection of not just work, but technology, digital. And that's really important to keep in mind. And they know this to be true because they tell me. Hugh, you know, the other piece of this is what bonuses uh, are going to look like. And maybe we're, we're jumping, uh, jumping the gun here. But, but given what's happening in the marketplace, what do you think that looks like since it's such a high proportion of people's compensation in the universe of finance? Yeah, Andrew, I think it's going to be a wide dispersion. I mean, I think if you're in a fixed desk, if you're in commodities and you've been absolutely killing it in your rates, interest rates, uh, you're, you're trading inflation, you know, uh, you're going to do great. You know, they're up 55% uh, in the 2Q, at, at least at Goldman Sachs. So if you're talking about investment banking, uh, equity capital markets, you know, that's collapsed by 80 or 90%. So, you know, on some level, you have some of the good businesses subsidizing some of the weak businesses. Uh, that's the point of having a diversified business model. But at the same time, you have to make people correct for, for what they've done. So you're going to see a wide dispersion. You're going to see uh, an increasing level of uh, people getting bagels, which is zero bonuses. Uh, come 2023. And, and people are going to be happy with that because they're going to say, I'm going to survive to make it to another cycle. And hopefully, you know, the deal flow starts to uh, to unfreeze in 2023. Sadal, you're expecting um, this to be a, a tough labor market. I mean, that's the other piece of it. It looks like it's a strong labor market. So everything's relative. I think these are turbulent times made the more complicated by supply chain issues and the war in Ukraine. Right. So what I what I think is people are going to look for the right people to, to retain the right people, to hire the right people in their organization and really weed out not only the low performers, but also try to figure out what are our key priorities? So some projects are going to go away as well. So I think that uh, everyone is going to be hyper vigilant and employees are increasingly going to feel job insecurity until things settle. Okay. Hugh and Sadal, thank you guys. Appreciate it. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Let us know what you think about performance versus presence at the office, actually at 
the office, physical space, you can tweet us at Squawk CNBC. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern, and you can follow Squawk Pod on your favorite podcast app. If that's Apple Podcasts, please take a minute to rate and review this podcast that helps other listeners find us. Thank you. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.